0: And we're back, generations talking about my sports generations. This is the big show, and we've got some exciting news. Steve, lay it on them.
1: I think the news you're referring to is that we're over 1,100 people who have uh, listened into our show, which is uh, quite impressive considering we're we're hoping for single digits, but we surpassed it. And we will have a party. Uh, My health is getting better and we're going to have a party in late November, early December, and you will all be cordially invited.
0: So more details will be put on this show. So for those that are listening, we are not paying your travel to get here, but if you are in town, you will be celebrated with some pizza and some beverages. And for those that don't know, pizza is, in fact, Steve's favorite meal. Am I correct? Absolutely.
1: That's correct. Last last meal, you know they They send me off to the big house and they say, "What do you want?" I'd say, "Well, I'd, I'd like a pizza actually." And uh, I'd be very happy to go to eternity with my last meal of pizza.
0: So today is a very interesting topic. And just for that topic, I had just pulled out a hat that I probably have not worn in more than a decade and maybe even longer. So, Steve, as always, enlighten our listeners with today. Well, before I
1: do, I'm going to ask you a quick question, which is if you had to be labeled something, uh, what in your mind as a young person, what is your mind? What in your mind would be one of the worst labels? I'm I'm not talking about, you know, offender or crime, criminal or anything. I'm just talking like character. What, what, what personality, what, what would you think would be, I would hate to be called that.
0: You know, unreliable. Okay. Well,
1: that's not the word I was looking for, but. I know what right you're
0: looking for, but. You're uh, looking, but I'm ahead. looking
1: for potential. The, the single worst word you could be given. And I'm going to take everyone back to, I guess it was 1963 in Long Beach. Um, Koufax and were pitching for the Dodgers Weston Baylor doing the thing for the Lakers and myself was taking a test. Now I came from a family, both my folks were teachers and my mom had to go back to school uh, when I was four. So she, I went back to work. So she took a couple years off while I was just a little kid, but the older, the siblings were gone. So it was me and I'd been reading as you know early on. So they, they threw books in my hand, they read to me, et cetera, et cetera. So from an early age on, I had, uh, Very quick, very good reading skills, good vocabulary. So I'm in Long Beach and they give me a test and boom, off the charts. And they are so impressed. I don't have to take kindergarten. I go right to first grade. as a five-year-old, which has its disadvantages because you're always small and the whole bit. But they labeled me a genius, which my family realized, you know, not true. And as one of my brother points out, I peaked at like age six and it's been down ever since. And I, I don't dispute that. But I can't imagine a more daunting thing than being the number one pick in a draft. And I want to bring you guys back to the 1972 NBA draft. So we're in 1972. The number one guy was a guy named LaRue Martin out of, I believe, Loyola Chicago, 6'11". He had the fortune or misfortune of having his two best college games against Bill Walton and Jim Jones, the best centers back then. And he, he played them straight up. He got drafted number one. He played four seasons in the NBA, averaged, I think, five and four, five points a game, four rebounds, and is widely regarded as the biggest bust in NBA history. The the postscript is this. Oh, also the number two pick, Bob McAdoo, the number 12 pick, Dr. J. So yeah, you know, he, he didn't he didn't rise up to those guys. My question for you is and and, and the postscript is this he had a very successful non-basketball career did very well in the corporate world seems like his head on straight really had, had a good life and it's still alive but my question to you is is he a bust or was it just a bad pick by the portland general manager a guy named Stu inman now back then they did not have scouting combines they didn't have a lot of stuff i mean you know literally it'd be like hey his his drinking buddy saw this guy played at a basketball game one time and gave him a call. So there was not a lot of sophistication to it. So what are your thoughts? Lou Martin, Buster, just
0: bad pick by the Blazers. So this is funny. And I knew you were going, where you were going, not necessarily with the potential thing, but I knew where you were going because I know what the topic is. But if you would have asked me this question, 10, 15, yeah, at least 15 years ago, I would have said bust because that was my Luddite kind of viewpoint on these types of things. I had a very, just like most people, I think, and and I'm not saying that this is necessarily a bad thing, but it's something that I kind of push back against now. These very digital ideas, everything's a zero or, or a one. They're either bust or they're great. And if they're not great, you know, you're a bus, especially depending on where you're picked. And I would have labeled any number of these guys busts, and maybe they were or not. But I look at it as. Hey, what are you doing, Portland? Why are you taking this guy so high? Why are you being not as smart as you could be with your draft capital? And then after you make the decision putting some of these people in very poor situations to where they fail. And so when you look at these different organizations, let's throw some out, the Raiders, the Texans, um, the Colts. You know, I'm doing a lot of football here, but a lot of these, and I'm kind of previewing some of the people we're probably going to talk about here, but they take a, these much heralded guys, and they don't work out, and they get labeled as a bust, but then we forget who drafted them, we forget the situations that they were drafted into or played in, and they don't necessarily get the same kind of negative press or have the same negative legacy as those individuals. So to answer your question, to make it as simple as possible, nah, the guy was fine. Portland made the mistake.
1: I agree, and and I, I think one of the one of the topics one of the subtexts we're talking about is expectations because just a year or two later, I think in uh, maybe seventy three, or I can't remember seventy maybe seventy one, Sidney Wicks got drafted, and Sidney Wicks for those of you who don't remember, uh, Hamilton High School, arguably be the best high school player ever in Los Angeles, uh, college phenomenal. He he was the he was the link between Kareem and Walton. Uh, when they had a, a center named Steve Patterson, uh, Sydney dominated, and and they they the the train kept rolling, and he got drafted by the Blazers. And you know he back then, and and I, I know a lot about the Bla- or I feel like I know a lot about the Blazers because I went to grad school up in Oregon, and they're they're Blazer crazy. Sydney had five or six very good years, All Star, twenty points, you know, twenty points a game, ten or eleven bounds assists. He could do it all. My question is, you know and let me just give you a little anecdote before I remember after he got done with the Blazers, he was sent over to the Celtics and back then, you know, they, they'd show some playoff games on TV, but not much else. And the Celtics were playing some of the playoffs and Sidney came in and just, you know, dominated just like, you know, Dr. J is Duncan. The announcer's like surprised, like, wow, Sidney Wicks, He's he's quite good. I was like, no, Sidney Wicks should have been in the hall of fame. So my question back on this potential draft stuff is, you know, Sidney Wicks was a was a very, very solid player. He's not in the Hall of Fame and he doesn't deserve to be. But I'm just saying, you know, you pick the right guy, and there's a lot of intangibles that that add up to whether or not the person's career is, is fantastic. I mean, you would think based on the amount of money and research they have, every number one through five should be a Hall of Famer. I and mean, they're they're that good. But it doesn't work out that way. And Sidney Wicks had a very, very solid basketball career. And uh, yeah, but, you know, coming out of college, he, he's better than Dr. J. I mean, he's just he's just the man. He he is. He's also maybe the, one of the best college basketball players of all time. So it's fun how that works out. I don't know.
0: So. I'm glad we're right where you're talking about, which is 1971, 1972, that early that, you know, just right when I'm being born, because one of my favorite players of all time, in NFL was drafted number 1 overall in 1971 Heisman trophy winner who am I talking about
1: Jim Plunkett
0: Jim Plunkett Jim Plunkett of course at that point in time they were the Boston Patriots and then later on in that off season would rebrand themselves so he would actually start his career as a New England Patriot but Jim Plunkett coming out of Stanford was heralded as by many the greatest college quarterback ever at that point in time. And it wasn't even close. And he would have, you know, five or so forgettable seasons with New England, he would have two even more forgettable seasons with the 49ers, and currently he is the only NFL quarterback in NFL history to have a Heisman trophy, to have two Super Bowls, to have a Super Bowl MVP, and not be in the Hall of Fame. So where does, where does Plunkett land on this?
1: Well, this this is the point I'm making, and and I, I'm a huge Jim Plunkett fan. I have a memory of of, I'm not sure what year it must be 1970, where you know Stanford played Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, and I remember I think Ohio State had a guy named Randy Gradishar who was like an All American linebacker, and he blitzed and he was way smaller than Plunkett, and Plunkett just shrugged him off, and you know threw a strike to Randy Vahala, and and you know Stanford dominated, but. Um, one of my favorite favorite talking points about this is, is a guy you probably don't like, but not, you might, Steve Young, because he, he was a Niner, and I know he liked the 49ers. Anyways, Steve Young. So Steve Young starts with, I think he started with the USFL, but then he, when he got to the pros, he's with Tampa, and he Tampa. sucked. He sucked. They they were terrible. Tampa was terrible. Young was running for his life every time he took a snap. And he was not very good. And he was widely seen as a bust, a guy who probably should have been a running back or a wide receiver, not a quarterback. And then some or other, the, the, the Niners staff gets it together and they take a shot with him for, Monta- you know, I guess Montana's back is a little bad. And then the rest is history. And you know now he's a hall of famer. He's widely acknowledged as you know one of the best running passing quarterbacks. All these things. But I'm saying he was the same guy in Tampa as he was in San Francisco. Just like Plunkett was the same guy in New England as he was in Oakland. If you're surrounded by by terrible t- players, you're not going to be very good. It just I mean in baseball you might because you know you can you can hit the ball no matter what. Now I, I suppose if you don't have a guy. With behind you who can protect you, the pitchers might just give you lousy pitches. But in basketball and football, you better have good teammates or you're gonna look like a a chump. And that's all it is. So a lot of it is that. And also gotta remember, this is back in the day of two things. One is the worst teams drafted first, and then they usually did not give up their draft choices. So, you know, OJ goes to Buffalo, and Buffalo's got a porous offensive line, and he gets his behind handed to him every day for years and years because the line's no good, not because he's no good. So you go to a team and like Sydney was Portland and Portland was not very good. You can't get away because there's no free agency. So, you know, all these things combined to my opinion, make it really tricky labeling guys bust or not because a lot of it is circumstances. Had Jim Plunkett, I know he had a lot of injuries, had he hung it up after the 49ers, would have why did he, you know, we'd be talking about him. Wow, Jim Plunkett, you know, first round pick and he never quite made it. Now we're saying, hey man, that this guy, you know, this guy won Super Bowls. This guy was great. And it's not, I, I doubt if he got better or worse. I think it was just the right circumstances. Do you agree?
0: No, absolutely. And it's kind of funny, like let's start throwing some names out you have Todd Marinovich, you have Tony Mandrich, you've got Jamarcus Russell. And of course, I just named, uh, you know, three Raiders there because they were pretty stinky. And you could even argue that Jamarcus Russell, not only was he to call him a boss is not correct, but to show the declining skills of leadership from Al Davis, because Lane Kiffin was the actually the the coach at the time. And Lane Kevin said, I don't want him. I want Calvin Johnson. And this later was corroborated that that was actually the case. And so, but Davis overruled them, took Jamarcus Russell. And it turns out that the day before the draft, Matt Millen actually called Davis, Al Davis, because at the time, Matt Millen was the was the general manager of the Detroit Lions and told him, hey, we brought this guy in, and this guy just just wasn't it. Like, he's not – yeah, physically he might be great, but don't draft this guy. And there were a lot of warning signs around Jamarcus Russell. So to call him a bust, when now arguably with, with history and with more information, he probably should have never even been the number one pick. Is it on him that he didn't work out, that he was – You know, people knew that he he had a poor work work ethic. People knew that he had, he actually turned out that he tested positive for codeine and he was actually addicted to codeine in college. And that was known at the draft. You know, again, as the public, we didn't know. So to call him a bust is like, is that fair on him? Yeah, he wasn't very good. But if you would have known this, which they did back in 2007, you wouldn't have drafted the guy. So the bust really is, Al Davis,
1: right? Yeah, I would agree if he if he knew all that, definitely. But I, I I think one of the problems is this. Um, and there's this great book called Breaks of the Game by David Halberstam. And it's uh it's he embedded himself with the Portland Trailblazers, I think, the year after they won they won the title. And it's it's just a great book. Yeah, just just phenomenal reading. David Halberstam, you know, was I mean, he was a heavyweight uh, you know, in terms of of just writing, and he he, you know. Went down and and sullied himself with sports and, and wrote this phenomenal book. But one of the things he said was these guys back in these days. I mean, it was a lot of ego. So, like the guy for Portland who drafted Larue Martin, he's like, yeah, you know, you you look in these kids that you look in a twenty year olds eyes and you at, you ask yourself, does this guy have what it takes to to be a hardworking, responsible, mature individual who plays sports? And and since they think they're you know the smartest guy in the room, the answer is yes. I'm you know I mean yeah. If 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 someone knew that Jamarc, I mean, you know, Jamarcus was gigantic and they said he could, you know, throw a football seated, you know, like 60 or 70 yards. I mean, it's amazing, but if you watch him play and, and I, I watched a few of his games, I mean, you could just tell he, he was no good. So that brings us up. I don't want to get away from the Raiders too much, but you got another year where you got two great quarterbacks, great college quarterbacks, Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, and no yep. one knew who was going to go first. And, and in fact, what I read was Indianapolis wanted, um, Leaf, but Leaf said, I'm not going there. No way. So they took Manning and Leaf went to San Diego. And, you know, I, I watched for the first time ever um, Thursday. Uh, wait i I'm sorry. Monday, the Monday Night Football, where the Manning brothers, you know, do their thing on the side. They have, they have a running commentary. They'd yep. guess they had, they had Lindsey Vaughn and Patrick Mahomes and someone else. And you can tell how invested, even at a game like that, Peyton Manning is. I mean, he's getting upset over time management. And the dude's—I mean, he's—he's he's an announcer, and it's funny. So you know, Peyton Manning took things very seriously. And I was never a big fan, but you know, no one would—no one would say that he got outworked by anybody. Ryan Leaf had had issues. He had addiction issues. He had authority issues. And you know, so there comes a time when you know, yeah you're 6'3, 220. you can throw the football, you know, 60 yards on a spiral. You can do all these things, but can you handle the pressure of, of being a pro athlete and how people decide that? I don't know. So I think, I think Ryan leaf, I mean, you'd have to say he's a bust, but it, I, I kind of look at the, the druggies a little differently. I have a very soft spot for them because I, I, I do feel that addiction is something that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a, a moral weakness. It's nothing to do with that. It's how, in my opinion, how our brains are wired and uh, they they have a craving for this stuff. And apparently he, he's turned it around a little bit. And he sounds like he's kind of going in the right direction, which is good for him. But, you know, it's tricky how you make these decisions because these guys are very young. You're talking about turning the keys to a franchise, certainly for an NBA, excuse me, NFL quarterback or an NBA center. You're turning the keys to a franchise worth, worth hundreds of millions of dollars to a 22-year-old who, you know, may take it seriously, may not take it seriously. You just never know.
0: And I think part of it also goes to setting a standard, holding that standard, and being a leadership. I mean, if you look at the teams that are consistently good, they're consistently good because they're consistent in how they go about doing things. And, you know, going back to the Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning thing, the way that I've heard and read the story is that you're right. All the way up to draft day, Physically, they all wanted Leaf, but at the very last second, Bill Polian basically went with Peyton Manning, really because of the professionalism that he saw in Manning, and he just thought, "Hey, even if he's a tick lower on the physical ability, you know, set, I want a leader, and that's the guy that I want." And you know, you could call it a, a coin flip, and you can call it whatever it was. You know, San Diego has been a dumpster fire basically since the dawn of that franchise. I mean, they've had some fleeting moments, but you can't say that they're a very well-run organization in any way, shape, or form if you want to take their entire history in the NFL. And, you know, maybe Bill Polian just got lucky, but having that insight to say, you know what, this is the guy that's going to be a pro. And then you see how it worked out for him. And I I think part of that is just having some kind of standard and going, you know, this Ryan Leaf guy, maybe physically he's so much better, but man, can he do what you're just describing? Can he be a 22-year-old leader in a clubhouse of 53 guys that, uh, you know, that expect a lot from him to be their leader? And he said no.
1: Well, it's funny because this season, since we're kind of on the quarterback, gig you know i mean it's about expectation expectation so you got you got the kid from alabama bryce and he's on the carolina panthers they're terrible he's getting smashed now the surprise of the draft is the guy from ohio state who i I mean surprise he was number two cj Stroud. yeah but you know ohio state's had a number of bust quarterbacks the best quarterback of course the 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 gag is the best quarterback is um uh uh, guy in Cincinnati who didn't even get to play at Ohio State, Joe Cool, um, who Joe sat, Burrow. yeah, who sat for years uh, at Ohio State behind these really gifted big guys who could run, who could throw, but they, they've been bust, they've been bust as quarterbacks. And CJ Stroud, and I'll just do a shout out because boy, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, all these Southern California guys are really making a name for the quarterback situation, and I just wish they would, well. I wish they'd go to UCLA. I I wish they'd stay in Southern California instead of going all over the frickin' nation. But CJ Stroud is in a much better situation, and surprisingly, the Texans are way better in in almost every way than the Panthers. So, is is he better than Bryce Young? I don't know. I mean, no one, you know, it, it was kind of a coin flip, but. It goes back to what I'm saying, which is it's the environment about what is going on and what's not going on, and that's that's what that's what gets you. So it's 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 tricky. But getting back to bust, there are, there are some guys that that just you know didn't pan out. And once again, it's it's whether or not they were ever any good, or they just got overhyped, and and you know the the team made a big mistake picking them. One caveat I want to throw out there, just to just to be fair to Larue Martin. In case he's listening, is um, that year they had an NBA draft and an ABA draft. And one of the things was they, you know, Jim Jones, whoever, liked the rumor was he'd already signed with the ABA. Bob McAdoo, same thing; they already thought he'd sign with the ABA. So a lot of it was poker playing. Like we're not going to sign some guy and he's go to the other league. So it's tricky. But uh, anyways, I, I, I think I think it's I think it's phenomenal how how wrong they get it all the time. And you know, you look at teams and it just doesn't doesn't work out that every guy on the football field or basketball court is not a number one or number two player, because it goes a lot more than that. And there's a lot more intangibles to how you play.
0: Well, and I think the other piece of it is, is how we put the bust or not label on the player. But again, it's not on the organization that gets the label. I mean, let's look at David Carr. David Carr, he holds some crazy record. What? Like, he's like the most sack quarterback ever in his like first three years in the league. I mean, the guy was running for his life. And nobody remembers now that he actually won a Super Bowl ring as a backup quarterback to Eli. So, you know, there is a redemption arc in there. And to your point, Was David Carr any better or worse when he was on the Giants than when he was on, you know, the Texans? No, he's probably the same exact guy, but, you know, he was in a circumstance where the offense that they were playing and the protection that he was giving, given, was terrible. I mean, look at Greg Oden. Is Greg Oden a bust because it just so happened that he had, you know, basically, knee problems that were going to end his career? I mean, is he a bust because he had a physical ailment that he can't control?
1: No, those those guys do not, in my opinion, don't get bust labels. They get passes because of injuries. And whether it's Sam Bowie or even, you know, I mean, I know this might be heresy, but even Bill Walton, I mean, Bill Walton had basically two dominant years where he was possibly the best center in basketball, maybe one of the best players in basketball and uh after that his body failed him and then the fact that he came back with the uh with boston and did so well i i i'm like like bill i'm a deadhead and i remember my brother and i went to a um sponsor we went to a show i think it was at the sports arena and walton was playing for the clippers then and we're driving away and we see walton and my brother yells uh have a good game tomorrow, Bill, in a very like condescending way. Like, what the hell are you doing out partying at midnight? And Walton gave a very smug back. Ah, uh, thank you, sir. And uh, it was funny. But uh, you know, when he was on the Clippers, he was terrible. He he didn't give a shit about basketball. He was a clown. He he. I remember he, one time his shoe came off. He threw at the basketball, trying to block a shot with his shoe. But then he resurrected himself. But but Bill Walton. I mean, you know, you you compare Bill Walton with Jabbar, right? I mean, you know, Kareem played forever. You know, led the league in in scoring forever was you know arguably the I mean, you, when you talk about the greatest centers in basketball, Bill Walton's name does not come up, and it doesn't come up not because of his ability. It comes up because of his his body failed him. He wasn't wasn't rigorous enough to withstand the the schedule. And so I wouldn't say Greg Oden's a bust or Sam Bowie or anyone who's got physical injuries. They, in my opinion, they get a pass because that's just the breaks of the game. That's the breaks of the game. Yeah, in my mind, being a bust doesn't mean you didn't play well because of injuries. And I'm getting back to what I was saying earlier, and I, I, I was going to throw a name out to you to see what you thought of this person, because talk about potential and expectations. Do you remember getting him Drew Henson?
0: Drew Henson. I mean, wasn't he supposed to be, like, after Marinovich, the perfect quarterback? Well, and the perfect baseball player, John, the combination of John Elway
1: and Mickey Mantle. Like, wow, really? You're going to go into pro sports with that? And so, yeah, he was he was supposed to be a number one NFL pick and number one baseball pick. Yankees signed him for a boatload of money. University of Michigan. Yeah, and Cowboys. And he played he and Brady traded off actually back then. uh, Coach Carr of Michigan would would have Brady in the first quarter hence in the second quarter for five or six games in the season until Brady finally started playing. But I mean, you know, this guy, they couldn't decide if he wanted to be an NFL quarterback or a baseball player. As it turned out, neither. His, his entire pro career, he was one for three. He, you know, he, he got a cup of coffee, he was in the minor leagues, and he just wasn't good enough. And, and you know, I don't know anything about the guy. He's probably a great guy, and he probably you know, is a hell of an athlete in every way. But for whatever reason, he didn't have that little bit more. And in my mind... I'm not sure that's really a bust because that's just like, to to me, a bust is someone who is, you know, no good. And, and, and also, I mean, I want to get back to another thing before I forget, you know, a lot of it depends on who the other players are. So I have a good buddy, we'll call him Nick from Sacramento and Nick from Sacramento will not stop talking about how stupid Sacramento was in drafting Marvin Williams when with the number two pick out of North Carolina when the number five pick was do you know who he was Luca Luca exactly Luca maybe the most dominant player in the NBA and and you know he could be that way for 10 years depending on his mental state and you know he could he could have been a king and and my buddy Nick like you laments the fact that Sacramento will never get over the hump. They'll never get enough big time players to make it. But he's like, man, we could have had Luca, and we didn't get it. And I think, I think Vlade made the pick. And you think Vlade of all people would recognize the talent of a, a fellow Euro. But um, so a lot of it is you're sorry. And, and Marvin Williams, I don't even know what team he's on now, but you know, he's not playing very well. He, he, he lacks some of the intangibles you need to be a star in, the, in that league. And, but a lot depends on, you know, who they could have gotten instead of you. That that, so that to me, so bust and in all good naturedness is also, you know, you're a bust if the guy they drafted to behind you turns out to be a Hall of Famer.
0: Yeah, so currently it looks like Marvin Williams is. No, I got the wrong guy. I'm looking at the wrong guy. But yeah, it's it's I think basketball is, well, let's jump over to basketball because it's a little bit harder. And first I want to talk about, I think a guy that you're a big fan of, and I'm a big fan of his as well. And his story I think is one that I think most people get behind because he was heralded and then he had a devastating injury yeah. and then he ended up coming back and being beyond solid and winning championships. And it's not the guy you think it's Sean Livingston.
1: Oh, uh, I. I, see, I was a Clipper fan. I'm still a Clipper fan, but I remember they drafted Sean Livingston out of Chicago High School, and he was this puny. I mean, you know, when NBA players are pretty physically imposing, and we used to go to games, and he looked like a high school player. He was skinny. I mean, he, you you bump into him, you wouldn't even feel it. He was nothing. And he had apparently one of the most gruesome injuries you could imagine, where there was some talk that actually they thought he could have died because I guess part of his leg got dis. dis combobulated with the rest of his body and he's gonna bleed out and he transformed himself into a a phenomenal role player with the warriors and you can make a very good argument that the warriors may not have had at the success about a guy like him would you agree
0: i mean for sure and i just his story is just great because it shows the type of moxie and character that I think as fans, we want to see, because again, going back to the fan theory, and maybe that's what we start calling it. We altercast cast ourselves into these sports players. Well, if I had that ability, if I had this, I would do that. And Sean Livingston showed, Hey, you know what? I got paid a bunch of money, but I really was dedicated to the game. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I worked myself back. And you said, Marvin Williams, I think you met Marvin Bagley, the third
1: Oh yeah, I did. I, I misspoke.
0: <laughs> and he's a, he's, he's currently a piston. Uh, Marvin Williams also was drafted second, but yeah, Marvin Bagley was what, and he was out of North Carolina and Bagley was out of Duke, but of course, uh, still the same could have had Luca. Um, which I thought, you know, at the time I thought Luca, it's like, man, this guy looks amazing. I thought they should have taken him number one, but that's a whole nother deal. But I think in basketball, to me, it's more of a crapshoot because, you know, when I have 11 guys on the field and I have very sophisticated offenses and defenses in football, putting people in the right position to be successful, I think is is much more difficult. And you can get away with being a great player and you're the rest of your team not being that good. And at least, you know, being an all-star, maybe your team doesn't win all that much, but you could still show out Not saying that that's true all of the time, but for whatever reason in basketball, I think it's less impactful. And then when you start talking about baseball, baseball is just hard. I mean, if you go back and look at any of the interviews and even some of the recent interviews with Dion, Dion Sanders is like, that's the hardest thing I ever did. You know, they talk about him covering different guys and doing different things. He's like, no, that was simple. Like, all I had to do was do this. But hitting a round ball with a round bat, that's like the hardest thing I ever had to do. And he talks extensively about it. So there's a lot of, you know, nuance that goes into baseball, I think, than any of the other sports. And I think basketball can be as much of the crapshoot of where, you know, this guy looks pretty good. He looks like he's got a lot of talent and potential, but you just never know. Well, is, is Kwame Brown a bust? You know, they drafted him out of high school. Again, I think that's Michael drafted him. Yeah. Drafted him out of high school. I think you put this young kid. And I think that's another thing with basketball, when you draft these younger guys, right? Just statistically, I'm not trying to paint the entire league, but many of these players are from very financially strapped backgrounds. And now they're going to automatically. Become multi multi-millionaires with guaranteed money at the age of 17, 18, 19 years old, depending on you know where where and how they get into the league. And then you are taking them out with James Harden. Like <laughs> and, and I say that kind of in jest, but I mean that's the type of element that is in the league. And these guys are flush with money. I, I can see how it could be very easy to be distracted, especially if you go to a team that isn't very well structured. And let's call it what it is. Michael Jordan, on any, any iteration, the success with the Bulls obviously was his overwhelming athletic ability, but it wasn't him. It was Jerry Riesendorf that put yeah. those teams together and the coaching that he had around it. And then everything else that Jordan touches, not that great.
1: Yeah, go, we, it's funny you said you're going out with uh, James Harden. Um, I forgot one of our favorite guys uh, for nicknames last week. <laughs> Mad Max. So yeah, how'd you like to be with Vernon Maxwell? And and they they probably did call him Mad Max because he he had a very um uh, interesting reputation, let's say, for his off the field antics, and and yeah, you you throw these guys in a locker room, and you know. Football, there's, there's a lot of guys and there's a lot of buffers. And there's a lot of things. Basketball, you know, 10, 11 guys, and the same thing. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's going to be a fair amount of jealousy. But I I saw Kwame Brown when he came with the Lakers. Now, let's not forget, I'm pretty sure Kwame's got two rings. Now, granted, they're mainly from Powell and, and Kobe. But, you know, he played. And I remember watching him play. And, and he would post up and they'd throw him the ball and he'd drop it every time. He could not catch a bounce pass. He couldn't do anything. His fundamentals were terrible. And and the idea of, of anyone thinking he was the best guy to draft that year is mind-boggling. So I would not say Kwame Brown's a bust. I would say Kwame Brown, you know, he played a number of years in the league. He played hard. He did his thing. He just wasn't that skilled. He he was not an all-star. He was not a Hall of Famer. And he did not deserve to be number one. So, you know, you can't really label guys like a bust. To me... The right. well, I, I know I've already spoken about Ryan Leaf's addiction, but to me, the skilled, talented guys who, for whatever reason, don't do it, they're bust. The guys who never should have been number one in the first place, they're just they're just un- unlucky guys in, in that sense. They they're lucky in the financial and everything else. But yeah, they they get ridiculed and you know their talk shows about how sappy they are. But it's not really fair to Kwame Brown to say he, he should have been a hall of famer because he's draft number one. He was not good enough to be a number one pick. And if Michael made that pick, that was really, really lame on his part. But Michael had a propensity for really bad picks. He picked that guy from Gonzaga, Adam Morrison. I mean, I watched him play three times. I was like, this guy is not an NBA player. He's not, he's not big enough or strong enough. His game's not good enough. And Michael picked him real high and he he's busted out. Well,
0: and So to further on the thread that you're pulling, I'm just looking at the Kwame Brown page here in the last sentence of the paragraph, which which is pretty poor, actually. His performance as a first overall draft pick has led many analysts to label him as one of the biggest busts in NBA history. So you have these quote-unquote analysts. These are all adults. These are all well-formed individuals. These are also more often than not, very educated individuals also more often than not come from, you know, situations that aren't what Kwame Brown's was. And so if I'm Kwame Brown, like, you're going to label me as a bus, man, I shouldn't have been here to begin with. And oh, by the way, you know, my career earnings are X. So how much of a bus is that? So I, I think it's kind of funny that You have these people that are willing to sit on the sidelines and pick apart a 19 year old kid who was put in a situation that he never should have been put in, and then trying to, you know, judge his life and his career when again, he wasn't put in a position to succeed in any way, shape, or form. And oh, by the way, he was drafted by a guy that has shown that outside of his brand and outside of his own individual accolades. Not that successful, in
1: in in somehow advanced acknowledgement of your hat. I spent the part of the week for whatever fun reason uh, I'm re I'm rehabbing, so I got a lot of free time in my hands. Um, old Raiders who who didn't end so well. So I mean, Lyle Alzado, John Matuzak, uh, what's his name, Mike Weiss, uh, and you know, big defensive lineman. And Matuzak's is a funny guy because he was a number one pick. He was the number one pick at Tampa. I mean, you know. He resurrected himself, and he had a, he he played well as a Raider, and he fit in, and he he did what they needed. But you know, he was not a number one pick. The fact that he was the biggest, strongest guy in the room only gets you so far, right? I mean, Joe Green was the biggest, strongest guy in the room, and he, he's in the Hall of Fame, and he he played great. John Matuzak, no one would ever say he was he would have been he should have been a Hall of Famer. But another guy like that, not a Raider, but but somebody I think we should talk about also
0: Russin oh, Russin Power, Russin Power, John Matuzak.
1: Yeah, totally. Twos cruising with the twos can leave you bruised. Um, how about uh, Tony Mandarich? You know Tony Mandarich, Michigan State monster. Just you know, I mean, you know, steroids before they really talked about it, and uh, gets drafted, I think number two by the Packers, and he's out. He's just not good enough. And I, I remember they still talk about this game where the Packers played the Eagles, and everyone just watched Reggie White just you know th- he was trying to block Reggie White one-on-one, which was, you know, very hard to do, and Reggie had a num- number of sacks and threw him around like a rag doll. Now, Tony Mandarich, to his credit, you know, he got bounced out, but he came back, and he actually had a number of solid years as an interior lineman with the Colts, where he started, where he played, I think, at least three seasons, and, you know, in, in my mind, you know, it, it, I'm with you. I guess, I guess we're saying the same thing, which is, not that Tony Manders was a bust. It was that he never should have been drafted number two. He never should have been, you know, he just wasn't. I think the Raiders did that also. The Raiders drafted an offensive lineman real high in the just like 10 or 15 years ago. And the guy was the average player. He wasn't, he wasn't a star. He wasn't, I mean, you know, some of these guys you draft and you just like put them in at right tackle and they're going to be right tackle for the next 10 years. And that, that's what the NFL scouts and the managers look for. They say, okay, we got an anchor. We got, we got, Art Shell, we got Gene Upshaw, we got Bob Brown, we got whoever it is. But you know, it doesn't always work that way. And and you know, like I say, I I it's interesting as to whether or not the guy's a bust or the whether guy just played up to his ability, and his ability was like an average player in the NFL. I suppose, or a great player.
0: So when you bring up. Bust first round draft picks by Raiders. It's really hard to know who you're talking about because there's just so many. But the most recent one is probably Alex Leatherwood, who was the tackle Arkansas or Alabama. He was the SEC tackle. And the, you know, I don't even know if the guy's in the league right now. And that's only a couple three years ago. I mean, the Giants, the Giants. The Raiders are, they're probably the first one of the NFL teams. To get infatuated with players at the combine. How fast they are, how strong they are, whatever it might be. And the funny thing is they get. They get heralded more for the ones that they get right. Let's take Khalil Mack as an example, right? He was at Buffalo, right? University of Buffalo is not like a powerhouse division 1 school nor do they play against you know any kind of reasonable talent nfl level talent but he shined at the combine and they took him and he was great but they get heralded for that but they don't get her- you know they don't get criticized or well, maybe they do I, I i they get criticized by me i guess that doesn't necessarily count but by drafting all these other dudes that are just you know, also rands, I guess. And that's an example of the Raiders, right? They get infatuated with this type, and they think that's a winning, a winning philosophy, and it just doesn't work. You look at, you look at Ozzie Newsom and you look at the Ravens. Now, Ozzie Newsom's not the general manager anymore, but they still have a philosophy there. And it shows with the leadership that's there. Ozzy Smith was GM for a really long time. John Harbaugh has been the coach there for a really long time. You look at the Ravens. Those guys are consistently good. They're always there. They don't always win, but they're always there. Mike Tomlin has not had a losing season in his entire career. I mean, I'd rather have that, even though that Tomlin only has one Super Bowl, but he's always in the mix. And you want to start talking about busts. I mean, it's just the Raiders and their haphazard way of how they do stuff is a bust.
1: Well, I think football, for whatever reason, has always been uh, open to kooky thinking. And and two Southern California guys that come to mind back in my era, my generation, George Allen. I mean, George Allen was a kook. That's all you can say about him. He was a kooky guy, had weird ideas, but he won. And and he, he did well with the Raiders and he did well, excuse me, did well with the Rams and did well with the Redskins and and now whoa, you got
0: whoa oh, whoa well, whoa whoa he did well with
1: the uh uh Washington football team but now you know and now in, in, at UCLA you got Chip Kelly who has never done that well but he's got all these funny ideas about how to do things etc etc so getting to your point i i think the raiders might pride themselves a little more on kind of being being the you know the oddballs who who see other oddballs and and i remember i remember uh a story about sonny barger the uh dead ex-president of the hell's angels and they asked how do you you know how do you spot your uh how do you pick your member your new guys he says we just recognize them and uh it's the same kind of deal you know i mean the raiders i think like going out on limbs they don't want to take the conventional choice and 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 you're right you know you you roll the dice you roll the dice stuff times you're you're gonna get you're gonna get a seven and win, but you're also going to have a lot of 12s and bust out. And the Raiders have seemed to bust at it. And also obviously it's a very bad strategy, fiscal strategy, management strategy, any kind of strategy over the long term to gamble that much. And then the Raiders have have shown in, and, and you know, you played solid and straight, you end up with the Ravens and, and you know, there's, there's certainly teams in, in the NBA and the, and major league baseball that every year, I mean, take a team like the Cardinals. I know you have a St. Louis background. Um, Cardinals are always around. I mean, they, you know, they, they have it going somehow or other and they just do it. They don't have, they don't have down, they don't lose a hundred games. They didn't do all these things. They're just solid. And uh, you know, I, I, you have, I wouldn't say I attribute it to Midwest values, but I attribute it to smart management on their part. And they, they do the right thing. And a lot of these other teams. And I, you know, I think the owners, some of the owners are very fly by night guys. They've made their fortunes. Like, you know, I mean, Jerry Jones, you know, he, he made his fortunes in oil, man. and you know, it, and and that's boomer bust. and and yeah, you, you drill ten wells, and they're all bust, and you drill the eleventh well, and you you got a billion dollars. So I, I think they take that philosophy a little too far sometimes. And I think it's clear that certainly by the end, Al Davis thought he was way too smart for his own good and and they ended up with a, with a really, you know running the franchise into the ground.
0: Well, when you look at Al, Al was a genius in the late 60s, into the 70s, and the early 80s. You know, he hit it right with with Madden. He hit it right with Flores. He hit it right with Marcus Allen. You know, Marcus Allen was, a lot of people thought Marcus Allen was too slow. They didn't think he was going to be a good pro quarterback or running back. So he, he hit it right. Now you could say maybe he was lucky, but man, he was lucky a lot. And the Raiders were, You know, going into like what was it, 83, 84, 85, the Raiders had the best winning percentage, and that was this, you know, the thing they used to hang their hat on, best winning percentage in all of pro sports. It's not true anymore, but he was a genius because he was out ahead of everybody. But the problem with Al is he didn't progress. The rules changed, things changed. He got enamored with Bo. He got enamored with I mean, you know, took Janikowski. Now you could say Janikowski wasn't a bust because he lasted a really long time in the league, but you don't take a kicker, you know, second round, like what, you know, first round or whatever. First, yeah, they took him first round and didn't they take Leckler in the second round? I mean, it was, that, that's kooky talk. Yeah. But, but
1: Okay. I don't, want, I don't, want, I don't want to go on records defending Al Davis too much, but he did take Ray guy in the first round. And that was like, okay, you got an all pro punter for 15 years. So in my mind, if you got a solid team and you can afford to take a kicker in your first round pick, Hey, I mean, every other team gets with the free agents, but you got to admit Ray guy was a good choice.
0: No, Ray guy was a great choice, but you also got to look at the circumstances. Then, then the draft was what, like 15 rounds. You had fewer teams, so you know you could be a little bit off the beaten trail a little bit and get guys but we've talked a lot about football let let me throw something at you in baseball because you threw this at me um several weeks ago and maybe you remember this and maybe you don't but in 2012 you had two guys that come into major league baseball one an american leaguer the other one a national leaguer one of them was heralded since he was like in sixth, seventh grade, and the world followed him around. And the other one was kind of a no name. The no name wins MVP. He wins, you know, he goes up against the last Triple Crown winner. And he was by far the better player, at least for the first five or six years of their career. Now that they've both been in the major leagues for over a decade, and The no-name guy has been kind of hurt a little bit, so he hasn't been able to play as many games or to his potential. But by now you're probably figuring out I'm talking about Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. Is Bryce Harper a bust? I mean, he was heralded coming in, and yeah, he's got an MVP and he's done well, but, you know, is he living up to the hype?
1: In in my mind, you'd have to be close to certifiable, close to lunacy to say that Bryce Harper's a bust. Now, I'm not a fan of Bryce Harper's for, you know, I mean, as a fan, I read a lot. I watch a lot. I just form my own conclusions for, for, you know, very subjective reasons. And some of the things I've heard Bryce Harper say, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not crazy about, but he is a great player and he's had a great career. It's probably at this stage, probably not a Hall of Fame career, uh, but it's a great career, and so I wouldn't call him a bust under any circumstance. Because you know, it's all about expectations. You you set the bar low enough or high enough, you're gonna get what you get. I mean, you know, if if the idea is Bryce Harper can only be a uh, can only not be a bust if he's in the Hall of Fame, is 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 far too onerous for anybody. Now, a better question, I think, is who's had the better career. Grace Harper or or Mike Trout, and you know I just read an article today uh, surprisingly about your Giants about how your Giants want Mike Trout, and they're talking about the lack of games he's played in the last five years. It's it's staggering. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, injury prone is is not even the right words to describe him. He's you you just can't do you you can't play fifty percent of your team's games over five years and expect to be anything. It just doesn't work that way part of it is showing up every day and we don't expect Cal Ripken but you know if if I was a GM I would want my stars playing 150 games a year and getting you know 550 at bats a year every year cuz that's where we're paying them the monstrous sums to do it and, and you know no you know no rap on Mike Trout. I mean he, you know he gets hurt but at some point that is a rap you you you're injury prone and and that's just, that's just how it is. I mean, I remember, yeah, I mean, you know, you get, you get hit in a wrist and you break your wrist. It, there's not a hell of a lot you can do against that, but he's had a lot of funky injuries. And it just, the reality is, is his body, although it looks like he could be a pro safety in the NFL, his body's net, not meant for playing 155 games a year and it never will.
0: Well, here's the funny. So their, their careers have actually kind of swapped. Right. Kind of like the Republican and Democratic Party, you know, like in the, uh, you know, right around World War II, they kind of (laughs) swapped their identities, kind of swapped. So Mike Trout. Since his age, 28 season, so he's going to be 32 in 2024. So he played 53, 36, 119. Now, granted, one of those years is the covid year, uh, 119 and 82 games. Prior to that, Mike Trout won three MVPs, won a rookie of the year, and has like seven, eight Silver Slugger awards. Conversely, if you look at Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper in his entire career has played 150 games three times in 12 seasons. So he, you know, consistently does not play a full season. And he has a lot of, you know, weird industry indus, um, injuries. And he also matches trout with a rookie of the year. And he's got two MVPs and he's got, you know, three, four silver slicker awards. It, it's just weird where trout came into the league with no expectations. Harper had expectations coming, you know, to him. All the way back in high school, Trout seemingly has had a lot less success, both well, not seemingly, I guess but, you know, actually um, empirically has had less team success as Harper. And Harper's had a lot of prime time opportunities to kind of show out these last few years. So it just it just seems weird, right? It goes back to where you started all this with expectations. Expectations kind of seems to set the bar, and then that kind of starts to drive narratives based on where you land relative to those expectations.
1: Well, this also goes back to our original talking points of of statistics, metrics versus intangibles. I mean, you know, it being labeled a bust, being labeled a success depends on a lot of factors and it's not just how fast you are, how many times you, you know, hit a double, uh, all these things you can measure. It, it's a lot of nuances that, that just don't show up and, uh, you can, you can never tell. And, you know, so I, I, I just, I'm left with the idea that, you know, Here's here's one thing I wanted to say. Um, when I was reading about Matuszak, the, the twos, he had a funny quote that you know he kept getting injured and he'd go back on the field. And then he said, Hey man, I don't go back on the field. You know, someone's gonna steal my job. And to me, what that meant is the guy behind Matuzak or Lyle Alzado or whomever it is is just a click, click worse. And they know that throughout the field, this guy will come in and the team will realize, hey, we can, we can win with this dude because the 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 Level of talent between these guys is minuscule. So at some point, it begins about how much you want to suck it up and how willing you are to play through your injuries, et cetera, et cetera, and you know all those things you you can't really you can't really figure out. Um, it's just it's just too hard to to do. And so when you're a GM and you're looking, at, and this is back in my era, because now of course the the guys come out of college, you can take pay cuts to to play pro ball from the NAL stuff. And when uh, when you're looking at a, a you know, 20 year old Bob McAdoo or a 20 year old getting and bring it all back to LaRue Martin, you've got to make a decision. And you, 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 whatever it is, you trust your instincts, who knows what it is, you trust your gut, you you do something or other. And sometimes you hit it right and sometimes you hit it wrong. And and I'm with you. I think a lot of you, I, I think this whole thing could have been short circuited. Of course, that we don't want to not have podcasts. But I think I think as opposed to saying LaRue Martin is the biggest bust in Bay history or Kwame Brown, I would say Michael Jordan or Stu Inman, the people who made the choices, the people who actually made the calls, they should go down as having the worst picks of all time, as opposed to the players. That's how I view it.
0: Amen. So here's your last parting thought. Mike Trout, 85.2 career war. (laughs) Bryce Harper, 46.2 war. Your thoughts. And we'll end the I
1: show. Still, my thoughts are I still don't understand war, but if Mike Trout's healthy, I pick him over Bryce Harper every day. On the other hand, I will say that I, I respect guys who rise to the occasion. And Mike Trout, unfortunately, and this is a tragedy, has never played a postseason game, I don't think. Or maybe maybe they got swept one season, but he's never done anything. And Bryce Harper has been in the big show with with the Nationals and the Phillies, and he's doing his thing. And when when the lights are on, he appears. So I, I will have a tip of my cap to Bryce Harper as, number one, not being a bust, and number two, being a, a primetime player, which, which I, I respect quite a bit. So that's all, right, all so I before,
0: got today. So before we say goodbye, Mike Trout, age 22, season 2014, with the Los Angeles, California Angels of Anaheim of Anaheim, Three games, lost to the Kansas City Royals, who, of course, went on to lose to the Giants that year. And in his only postseason appearance, he was one for 12 with a run. Well, actually, his one hit was a home run. So a run, a home run and an RBI. And that is his only taste of the postseason.
1: And was that his rookie season?
0: That's his age 22 season where he was a rookie at. he and. Harper, both were 19. Um, He came in in 11, but he won Rookie of the Year in 12. And Harper, uh, he was 19 in 12. So he's a year older than Harper, but they both won their Rookie of the Year awards at the age of, um, or excuse me, in 2012. Trout was 20, Harper was 19. Okay,
1: I'll, I'll oh. end on a positive note, a positive, optimistic, redemptive note, which I, I stand for now, which is, wouldn't it be great? Because, I mean, I'm thinking Mike Trout's 20 years old. He's, oh, we're in the playoffs. This is going to happen every year. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have all these playoff games and World Series games to be great. And then he goes for a drought. Wouldn't it be great if under Ron Washington, they come back, uh, they get their act together. I, I got no idea if they can sign with Tony, but it'd be great if they could. And Mike Trout at age 34 or 35 plays in the series and shines. And that would say, wow, this guy earned it because he had a decade of misery, and now he's the man. That's what I'm rooting for. With that, fade out. It's Steve right here, and it's been great talking to everybody.
0: Tim Salmon.